Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we're, I'm waiting for our guest. Uh, George Landreth will be joining us shortly. He's got some in, pretty interesting articles and from his Frontiers of Freedom, so I thought we would kind of discuss those uh, studies. And, uh, and speaking of Mr. Landreth, he's sitting right there right now on the air. Uh, George, just yes, as sir. I got to ready then, ready then. I'm just just as I was saying, what a great guy you are, and what a brilliant person you are. To all of my audience, here you are. So, <laughs> well, sorry to intrude. <laughs> um, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, what I wanted to do here tonight, because I wanted to kind of talk about, okay, censorship. Uh, some of the pieces that you've done, you did, you did a analysis on the state of California and what they're doing, and uh, I wanted to kind of, and also uh, intellectual property rights, uh, and on the big tech side of the equation, and also there was a recent study dealing with uh, 230 that I wanted to get into. And then later we'll get into uh, uh, the you know, a, a piece that was done on your website on trade. So sure. the first question I'm going to yeah first question first of all to explain to the audience two thirty when somebody's talking about big tech in two thirty right. what are they saying section two thirty well basically two thirty back in the in the late nineties. Um, there was a provision, Section 230, which uh, gave Maybe immunity. controversial to some people. Go ahead. Okay. It gave um, immunity to, um, to essentially what we now call our, you know, social media, these content providers, um, from lawsuits um, of all kinds of different varieties. And the, and the rationale ultimately was because they were so small and had such little power, they didn't want them to be overwhelmed with frivolous lawsuits. And, um, and they wanted the, you know, the Internet to be able to grow and become a robust platform. And they thought that you know, litigation, uh, particularly frivolous litigation, might be uh, you know, some sort of a, an impediment to that. Go imagine that. You know? Maybe that's a good argument for tort reform. But, uh, but anyhow um, – and, but now, of course, it doesn't work very well because back then they were, A, small, and, B, they were trying very hard to please the customer. But now that they've got this huge customer base and they've kind of bait and switched on us as to what their goals are because originally they all promised us it was going to be an open platform, that they were just there to facilitate people uh, talking about their, 
you know, vacation, their favorite foods, their trips, their politics, you know, whatever it is they want to talk about. As long as it wasn't kind of, you know, violent or, um, or pornographic, you know, there weren't, you know, they were, you get to say what you want to say. Now they've changed the rules and they want to enforce an orthodoxy. And so, um, you know, this, this section now, 230, seems to be a little bit more problematic because these no. big, huge, uh, you know, no. companies are essentially exercising this uh, tremendous power, no. power that our founders probably wouldn't have believed government could even exercise when they came up with yeah. the First Amendment. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, because like I said, I know the other aspect, a lot of 230, if I remember, 230 was in the 1990s, even before Facebook came on scene. Basically, yeah, as, 1996. It was 1996. Yeah, you say. Yeah, you had the Internet, and I can't remember Google at that time or Microsoft had their own engine. I can't remember. Uh, it seems like back then AOL black. was the big deal. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we really get because I mean, because as I understand it, and, 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 and let me just try and clarify it, and you can you know verify what I've got it right, is, okay, let's just say in the case of AOL or in the case of, let's say, the, the early providers, you know, you know, they're at. You know, the attitude is okay. Tom Donaldson can you know, say, you know, write a piece, and maybe I, you know, and maybe I accuse, uh, you know, and maybe I, you know, pass some boundaries. Maybe you make unfair accusations, or I basically am a neo-Nazi. Okay, maybe that's a, I'm a neo-Nazi, and I'm talking about, you know, you know, you know, you know, putting Jews back in the gas chamber, this kind of thing, and and certainly that's bad, evil. But the the person, but the provider was not the one who was going to get sued. If anybody got sued, it would have been Tom Donaldson's blog, uh, right? Not the internet provider for doing yeah, that, right? It was a little bit. It was a little bit. They kind of treated the internet like it was a, a community um, poster board, you know, out by the pool, and you could put your yeah. business card up, whatever you want. And the community is not responsible for some guy who puts a card up that says, uh, you know, I'm selling drugs or, you know, whatever. Um, they, if they see it, they might take it down. But if they miss it, it's not like they're out there policing it. It's just available to the public. And, uh, you, know, you know, and so the person who's responsible for what's put up there is the people who put it up. And that's kind of how they treated it, except that uh, it's now gone kind of in a way that sideways, in a way that no one really envisioned which is these companies become super powerful and then they use that power to essentially dumb down the political debate and to, uh, uh, you know, essentially silence uh, roughly half of America. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, yeah, let, let's kind of put it in this capacity this way because, you know, uh, the, the way I kind of view it, you know, the way I kind of view it would be is, we were not going to treat the internet provider as a editor or as a news journal or as whatever the same way. They were not the New York right. Times. They, they were like AOL. They were like, uh, you know, whatever the Internet Explorer was. And now, yeah. we, yeah. the, I, now I think the argument is the, more like a community bulletin board is a little more apt, at least the way yeah. it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, you know, the thing, you know, let me say now, in the case of, and we'll get more into your into this article, which I thought was very good, but I wanted to uh, 
it kind of goes, let's say, to Facebook, because obviously Facebook and Twitter and these sites are protected. You know, they're now under, they were now put under the guideline of Section 230. As you say, when they started out, it was, they continued that what we call the bulletin board. You know, you know, Tom Donaldson gives his famous cooking tips. Uh, George Lambert uh, puts pictures of his latest trip on you know, whatever, you know, Facebook, uh, whatever. And and so they did not act as the editor as much as, okay, we're just going to continue this. Now the question, and, and I guess in the last several years they've shifted over to the editorial side. We're now going to be the editor. And, the, you know, and this is where we're going to get into the censorship, for example, when they you know, pretty much kept, you know, they put a plug on the New York Post for publishing the Hunter Biden story. As an example, in that case, they're acting right. as an editor, not as a bulletin board. And so now this is to me. Well, and they're okay, acting not, as an editor that colludes with other editors, because normally when you if you send an article to a given editor, they may say, yeah, that that story doesn't really interest us. But they don't call every other editor in town and say, oh, by the way, you know, Tom's article, don't print that. And uh, yeah. but that's what they, that's what they're doing now. All right. All right, now here's okay. Now, let me put it in this capacity. All right, uh, if, you know, and I'm going to kind of you know leave this question out, and then we'll come you know, and and we'll come back after the break. But you know, how does okay, Section 230? What does it? How does it benefit Facebook right now? And and, and so that, and when you come back from the break here, this is what I wanted to kind of touch base with you is how does this benefit Facebook, Twitter, and some of the others? A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with this talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Yes, and also this particular section is being brought to you by, segment is being brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to be a special sponsor of the Donaldson Files, contact L.A. Bachelor at labachelor40 at gmail.com. We'll get you a sales staff to tell you what the best program is. And you can also listen to this show on streamyard.com 
and the Bachelor News dot pro. Uh, and you can listen to this podcast and other podcasts on the network at your convenience or at a set time on the Bachelor News dot pro. And okay. And just in case we you know we forgot the question is what's the benefit right now? How does Facebook and other social media benefit from Section 230? Well, the way it's been used um, really for the, you know, since 1996 is it's, it, you sue them on anything other than, say, like a contract claim. So, like, if you signed a contract with Facebook and they breached it, you could sue them, and I don't think they can use you know, 230 as a defense. But if you sue them for anything about how they've uh, treated you or dealt with you um, – you don't they just the court court won't hear it they in other words you don't get to your day in court they just go nope they have immunity it's okay and um normally uh we have a a belief that if you if you describe a a, a plausible claim that we ought to at least hear the facts and then decide how the facts and the law shake out but 230 has prevented them to date from that now there is a case that uh in the second circuit that uh, just recently has been uh, uh, essentially is going to be held for a rehearing, um, and it could it could signal that there's going to be a change there. We'll see. But historically, it has basically protected them and given them virtual immunity from uh, any editorial decision that they make, and how they okay, treat look- customers when it comes to their, um, mm. you know, the uh, what's it called, the uh, community standards and so forth. The user okay. rules versus BMO as uh, a BMO. Uh, that, that's is yeah. that uh, that's the case. So first of all, talk about the case. What is the case, and and what are the issues in that case? Well, um, as I understand it, the, uh, the the dispute is about the terms of service agreement, um, which prohibited. Um, the streaming of materials promoting conversion therapy, and apparently this is a you know controversial uh, technique that uh, in a number of states they have uh, tried to ban, at least for children under 18. Um, and I, I'm not an expert on what all that is, but uh, but the bottom yeah. line is, um, so I'm not here to argue the merits. There's lots of things that are on the internet that I don't approve of, um, and it, but it doesn't mean that just because George or Tom doesn't approve of them, that they should be shut down. So I don't have a, a position on, on this particular therapy. All I'm really saying is, um, you know, they were, they were shut down and, and uh, so they, they're being sued. And uh, the bottom line is the, um, you know, the, 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 the dispute has to do with, uh, you know, essentially, you know, um, discrimination based on things like race, color, religion, etc. And uh, that and so they're arguing that they have a right to be heard and uh Vimeo is saying no, we have, you know, 230 uh you know, immunity. And so the question will be is does the court agree with that or not? Okay, let me uh, okay, let's cuz uh, no, yeah, the conversion theory is basically again it's a technique, a controversial technique basically if i understand to change you know for people you know to you know convert people you know from humble quote unquote a gay lifestyle back to a normal 
to a straight lifestyle. Okay. Uh, that's that, that's that's what it is, and uh, and I and if I understand it's okay. The video they had a video streaming of a group of posting videos of individuals saying, "Hey, because of this, we're now abandoning uh, the gay lifestyle." Uh, now again, I'm you know we're not here to, to comment one way or the other about the the position of the video, but okay. The, but here's the question. Yeah, but but the uh, video itself was not uh, profane. It was not yeah. uh, pornographic. It wasn't violent. Yeah. It may be something you don't agree with, and you know I don't know if I do because I yeah. don't know enough about it. All I'm saying is, um, for me, I I read every day articles with which I vehemently disagree. I do that because as a profession, I want to know what the other side is saying, so I understand what their arguments are. Um, I don't All think right. it's unhealthy. To, to do that, and so I'm, and there's, my point is I don't see a reason to just because something's controversial, you know, to get rid of it. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, here's the question because here's as you stated, you know, what they're basically saying is okay, you're you're discriminating against our Christian lifestyle, uh, and you're, or or it could be and, their Muslim lifestyle too. You know, there, there's yeah, not just yeah. the Christian. You know, there are yeah, other yeah, religions. Exactly. That, I mean, they, uh, yeah, basically they're saying in fact. You, know, you can't exclude people based on their religion, based on their race, based on their sexuality, uh, and and so that's the argument that they're using. That you can't. Section 32 was 230 was not designed to do exactly that. Okay, let me ask you this question. You know, are, is it going to be your view at this point to sit back and say, you know, they have this is in fact in violation of Section 230? Um, it's kind of interesting. The way 230 is written, as I see it, is it's pretty blanket. But I think it's also clear that the uh, the people who wrote it certainly weren't envisioning this. Um, they were envisioning a different problem. They were envisioning the problem that you described. You know, or if I'm a scoutmaster, which I was, and I – posted pictures of our you know boys out camping at scout camp and then one of the parents is angry that we didn't get a disclosure form saying that we could have the picture up i may not put his name but they you could see the side of his face and they're mad at me they could sue me for that but they couldn't sue facebook right because facebook has right. 20 2030 um that was the really the purpose of it was to kind of say to them so they didn't have to go around you know, checking to make sure that everybody in the picture you had signed a disclosure statement or you know whatever and, uh, and, you know, so the point is, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to predict what they'll do because I think that you could uh, – there's a good argument that, that 230 is a blanket immunity, but I think there's also an equally good argument that that's obviously not what was intended when they were writing it. When they wrote it, they were really getting at the thing we just spoke about, not giving um, them the ability to pick and choose, um, you know, Whose opinions they like? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is the now this is the kind of where the what we're talking. You know, the rubber meets the road in this sense because here's, you know, I'm going to give you a couple of you know I'll give you an example, and again I'm not going to say for or against this position. Simply say I can see justifiable for this tweet. Uh, uh, I'll give you as an example. Okay, Marjorie Taylor, what's her, Tyler Green, is that the, the yeah. Yeah. Okay, she does a tweet. Basically, she says, okay, you know, you know, vaccines should be 
voluntary, not compulsory for military. Found out there, you know, there are side effects. Six thousand dead due to the vaccine. Make it voluntary, not compulsory. Now, nowhere in this does she say don't vaccine. You know, even though I get the impression she may be on anti-vaccine, but she certainly didn't say it in the tweet. She certainly is basically voicing an opinion, not necessarily whether you agree with the opinion or not, or whether you agree, you know, opinion or not. You know, I mean, she's just voicing an opinion. Okay, side effects have been seen. People have died shortly after getting the vaccine. People should have the right to do whatever they want to do. Okay, Twitter right. put her on a 12-hour jail time. You know, they basically right. banned her for 12 hours. 12 hours. Now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, to me, what what she said is within the bounds of normal, rational discussion. It's something we ought to have a discussion about. It's an important issue. Is the, I, I, I'm not against vaccines, but I am against forcing people to have vaccines. My view would be we should use the power of moral suasion. And uh, there are people for whom the vaccine is not a good choice. I, ha- I have a friend who uh, spent uh, about two years in a wheelchair because of a, a reaction to a flu vaccine. So if somebody said everybody should get the flu vaccine, and I hear those public service announcements virtually every winter, maybe not last winter, but normally you do, um, it's, I, I, I think differently about it now. And I realize that, sure, a flu, flu vaccine is great for most of us, but there are some for whom it's not good, and we ought to consult our doctor and figure that out. And there's yeah. nothing right. – that's not an outrageous position. And it's not yeah. an anti-vax well, here, position. Okay, now let's follow the case. So here's the thing. In this particular case, would you say that Twitter is acting like an editor as opposed to a more broader speech you know, protector? Uh, would you oh, say they're that, clearly that's acting, Yeah. Yeah, that, they're clearly edit, – they're, they're, they're basically saying that's an opinion that we don't think should be expressed, and so we're going to ban it. Um, you can use fancy words like misinformation or whatever you want, but those are always the words that totalitarian dictators use. So I, I wouldn't take any solace in, the, in the, their use. In fact, they should make you nervous. Um, but the, you know, dictators never say, I don't want you to have that information because if you have that information, you won't like me, and I'm trying to control you and manipulate you, so I'm going to control you. They always talk about how they're doing this for the public good and to protect people from misinformation. It's always because they're such fine people that they do these things. You know? And uh, so I, I would argue that in a society, and the First Amendment obviously is, is, prohibits government from regulating speech, but we have as a value in America that outside of our homes – and outside of very, very private institutions, anything that's kind of in the public, we always talk about the idea of free speech matters. You know, so when you, you, you ought not be told, um, even by, you know, if you're in a restaurant, you should be able to talk with the people at your table, barring, you know, profanities and disgust, you know, things are just outrageous. You should be able to talk about what you want to talk about. If I'm sitting next to somebody who hates, uh, you know, President Trump and loves Joe Biden, that's fine. They have the right to have that conversation. I shouldn't uh, be able to go to a, um, a private manager and say, can you please kick these people out? They're, they're annoying me. And uh, mm-hmm. I think we'd all be offended by the idea that even though technically it wouldn't violate the First Amendment, it does violate this value that America has, which is free speech is a good thing for society. It allows us to have a dialogue and silencing people is dangerous 
because their opinions won't go away simply because we silence them. They will eke out somewhere, and at some point they'll be uh, magnified by frustration and resentment, and then that's when you start getting you know, you know, awful things happening. It's a lot better if we can have conversations and feel heard, even if we don't always win the debate. Yeah, okay, yeah, I mean, all right, so question comes into play here is this, you know, what happens, you know, to Twitter or Facebook if they lose 230, in your estimation, how does that change the game for them? Well, I think it, um, what it really does is puts them on equal footing with every other um you know, American business that has to face lawsuits, whether you're a baker or, you know, a restaurant or you deliver newspapers or you print newspapers, whatever it is you do, you mow lawns, you can get sued by, because of the, someone's dissatisfied with the service that you've provided. And, uh, and then the court will decide after hearing the case whether or not there has been an actual um, wrong occurred and what the damages might be if such a wrong occurred, or they may say, no, that wasn't really a problem. You're just being difficult. Um, but right now they don't have to do that right now. They just kind of wave this, you know, two thirty uh, placard and say, you can't sue us. You can't sue us. You can't sue us. So I think it'd be healthy, quite frankly, because I do think people behave better. I think people drive better in the parking lot at your local Walmart because they know if they don't and they hit your car, they're going to have to pay for fixing it. And so they're careful, and they don't uh, do stupid things. Now, hold on. You know, accountability improves behavior. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's hold on. Thought. I'm going to come right back to Tom Donson. Donson Files with George Landreth of the Frontiers for Freedom. Uh, as we're discussing censorship here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Tom Donaldson with the Donaldson Files. Uh, this segment is going to be brought to you by Napa Auto Parts. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We are with uh, George Landreth. Um, we're talking uh, big tech censorship and, uh, and misinformation and the definition of all of those things. So, 
And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to the show on StreamYard.com. StreamYard.com. And this podcast will be available anytime at your convenience. Okay. Um, okay, here's – okay, let me throw this back to this way. I mean, here's the thing I would throw back is this. Okay, let's talk about – okay, and again, this is the legal side of the case. I'm not here – you know, Donald Trump is basically banned from Facebook. He's banned from Twitter. Uh, and the question is this – again, is this, in your view, a violation of the spirit of the 230 section? Banning a um, politician because you know. No, no. I think you're right. I think it is. Um, I, I think 230 was not aimed at giving them immunity for doing that. No one, when they passed that law in, 1906, in 1996, would have foreseen that this was going to happen. They probably couldn't have possibly envisioned what Facebook would even be or what Instagram or Twitter would be. But, um, but, uh, but the bottom line is um, also just it's been an, Ameri- an enduring American value that we need more speech, not less speech. And so rather than silencing people, we should promote ways. And that was part of the appeal and the claim to the, you know, these groups. Facebook was like, you know, we're going to promote more speech and more debate and more conversation and more, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, no, they don't. And um, they did at one point. But as soon as they got enough users and enough power, they decided to use it to their uh, political advantage. Early on, they were trying to build a user base, and so they lied to us, and they you know, did a bait and switch as to what their program was. But once they had you know, 5 billion or whatever the number of users they have is, they, um, you know, then they changed their, their tune, and now they uh, are playing partisan politics. And it, it ought to be considered a, uh, a gift in kind to the uh, candidates that they are aiding and helping. Okay, let me take, let me okay. Let's go. I'm going to try and turn to the Trump lawsuit. Now he's making a contention: First Amendment rights were violated following the the U.S. Okay, first his first rights are being violated, and that these companies are acting as an agent of the federal government. Now, what do you think of that argument? Well, um, that argument might have been easy for a court who didn't want to hear it or take it to dismiss and say, oh, clearly they're a private company. But given uh, Jen uh, uh, Pensaki's uh, uh, statement about how they were working with them and asking them to ban people on one and all the others and work together, and they were you know, giving them suggestions as to who should be banned and you know, these 12 people or whatever, uh, you know, that's that makes them state actors. You know, if a, for example, in, you know, if a sheriff in town, um, he could not escape liability for violating your civil rights simply because he personally didn't come to your house and, uh, you know, burn a cross in your front lawn. Instead, he went to a neighbor and said, Hey, do me a favor. Here's a hundred bucks. Go over to Tom's house and, and try to terrorize him and scare him and do some bad things to him. You know, that would still be state action because the sheriff's involved and he's doing it. And uh, but the fact that he employs a private entity to assist him does not make it uh, private action. So I think it's interesting. I, I up a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, ah, that's probably a Hail Mary pass. I'm not sure it's a Hail Mary pass anymore. Yeah. All right. But, OK, now, 
That's what, this kind of makes it kind of an interesting twist there because here's the thing. First of all, number one, uh, you know, I I know that okay, there was a story several months ago in which the Biden administration, you know, that this was reported that they, this is what they were going to do, you know, ask private companies to do this on their behalf uh, so they could avoid the First Amendment. But right. I guess the, but I guess there's that point. I mean, it, but let's say if you have a situation where, okay, you have the, sec- the, the press secretary saying, we're working with these people. We've got 12 people already on the dirty list for misinformation, you know, uh, and they are, you know, that's kind of an interesting twist to say, okay, now you're acting like the agent for the government right. on their behalf. Yeah. And so that kind of, to me, it's an interesting way of looking at the free speech side is, you know, you can't, you know, you can't sit back and do an in round the first amendment by hiring other people, as you say, to, to do exactly right, by that. subcontracting out the violations. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you intend to violate the first amendment, the fact that you've hired a subcontractor to do it for you does not make it legal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, this is—it's kind of an interesting twist. I mean, uh, of the lawsuit, because you know, because there's a part of me, as I stated, you know, when I was looking at Rick and I said, oh, that's, you know, it's not a reach. I never viewed it as a reach when I heard it, simply because that's exactly what they're doing. But it's a reach right. in the sense, how do you prove it? Well, no, that you're, that's that, exactly right. That, now that's you, yeah, now you get, yeah, now all of a sudden you have the smoky gun sitting in front of you, Gene Baskey, you know, the press secretary's own words. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, which, no, you're right. You know. I mean, yeah, so, yeah, you've got um, – I think when someone tells you – you know, it's, it, generally the mob is pretty good. Uh, you know, the, the, the mob Don is never signing a memo to the file that says, please knock yeah. off so-and-so, whack them. You know, yeah. it's always done kind of through subterfuge. So he always has deniability. And if someone, you know, they can always say, just, I didn't say knock him off. I just said I was disappointed in his performance. And I asked my buddy to do something about it. I thought he was going to well, fire him. Some to, the, him. Yeah, to fire him. Well, I guess you could say he did fire him. <laughs> right. But, you know, but that's how they play the game because they understand it's not useful to have a smoking yeah. gun. Uh, evidently. Yeah. Even though this White House behaves at times like the mob, they're not as smart as the mob. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to keep putting notes in the file that say we're doing things that are illegal. And, uh, you know, they're making it a lot easier to prove that their actions are yeah. outrageous. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, because I, I think, it's, I mean, it's kind of a catch-22. And this is, to me, this is kind of an issue here because we know, I mean, we know that they're working. I mean, you go back to the falsy emails, and one of the things that struck me was Facebook basically sending emails saying, like, how do we cover the Wuhan virus origin story? And, and we, uh, you know, it's kind of, and I thought to myself, you know, in effect, you've got a government bureaucrat working with the media to detail this is how we're going to do the narrative on your web, on your site. Which basically means if you go against the narrative, you will have troubles getting published. We will censor you. Right. And uh, now here's the now this kind of here's the, the thing. I guess the question I was coming to play is this: 
if you get rid of Section you know, 530 for Facebook or, you know, for Facebook based on this, or let's just put it, you know, I guess to me the only solution Facebook would have is they would either have, have to return to what they did before and have no censorship and accept the fact that you're going to have some really nasty people running around on your website, or you become a newspaper. You become no different in newspaper. And certainly in this case, this is my view, and I want you to kind of do it. Once they, they're sitting there talking to a government agency, hey, how do you want us to cover this story? It's not just, you know, they, it's not just about being an agent of the government. It's also they're acting as a media source. You know, you know, how, you know, you know, what, you know, how do you want us to say it? Or what's the story? Or give us your opinion on the story so we can write it in such a way. All right. So in effect, they're also acting like editors, not just party members, but editors. Yeah. Well, if they if they're colluding with the government and how to cover things that way, they're actually acting as the as the Ministry of Information, the Ministry of Propaganda, which uh, you know our system of government and our nation was designed to have a press that was free, meaning independent of the government and that they would be watchdogs. And now what we have is lapdogs. At least um, I jokingly say this, and it, but it's sadly true. If you want accountable government, you have to vote for the, Democrat, for the Republican because the press will not hold a Democrat accountable. They just utterly refuse to. The only people they will hold accountable are Republicans. So if you want accountable government, vote Republican. Because if you vote for a Democrat, you're going to get unaccountable government. And that's because our press is no longer a free and independent press that acts as a watchdog. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, George. Okay, now, the other aspect that comes into play here is – I guess I mean I guess what's the solution to you? I mean at this point, what's our solution? You know, I, 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 let me lay out some things and you tell me what you think. Number one, should Congress go back and say, okay, two thirty is met? You know, for a wide variety of points of view to be presented. Once you start censoring, you become a, a news network and subject to the same rules as, let's say, the New York Times. Now, I guess you could say you can cover yourself with Times versus Sullivan, but certainly uh, you're no longer granted protection under 230, but under, let's say, similar laws as, let's say, the president of the New York Times has done. That would, you know, to me, be number one. Congress say, yeah, you know, you either have, you can either be one or the other. You can't be both. Uh, the second aspect is if you want to keep your 230, you basically have to allow this or else you lose it. So it sounds like I mean, you know, I'm not. So it sounds like I mean, Congress is going to have to redefine what they mean by Section 230. Uh, your thoughts? Um, I would agree with that. I think that ultimately, um, we can ask courts to to interpret it, and that's fine. But uh, I think generally it works best if Congress is clear about what its intentions are. I think it's clear. It was clear in 1996 what its intentions are, but after essentially over 20, about 25 years now, it's become, it's gotten murky. And so they ought to come in and, and redefine it and make it clear. And um, I would argue that uh, um, 
that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm not that interested in using – I know some people have said we should have government agencies that oversee Facebook and stuff like that. And that to me is very problematic because I'm not that interested in giving government the power to arbitrate what truth should be said. Um, we've already have a problem when we've given that power to Facebook and to Twitter. Um, why would we want to give that to government is uh, beyond me. But, uh, but yeah. getting rid of 230 does not cause that problem. Getting rid of 230 just makes them choose. Do you, want to be an yeah. edit, do you want to be a paper or not? And the problem, of course, with them being a paper is most newspapers don't actually have user agreements um, in which yeah. they, you know. So, so they, they, those user agreements are technically binding documents. Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on, this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files with George Landris. Here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me, I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. And don't forget, Thursday night is wings, the boneless wings night. You can order one set of, bon- uh, one set of uh, wings. You get the other set for free uh, at Buffalo Wild Wings, where you, can, again, where you can listen and see every sporting event you want to see. All right. Uh, we do. Uh, I'm going to bring in a, a, a caller here from uh, Florida. Uh, sir, what's your name and uh, what's your comment or question? Yeah, hi. How are you guys doing today? Real good. All right. So you're speaking with a person named George. Yeah, All George right, like Landers. Name <laughs> yeah, that name <laughs> George is of... a great name. That's right. I've is. been okay, called worse. <laughs> yeah, just the first name. I'm not sure about who he stands for in terms of his last name, but I know the greatest George and the greatest probably man that, that existed uh, in our country, of course, we know is George Washington. Uh, you know, I used to be a fan of both uh, Adams and Jefferson, but as of late, I feel like uh, Washington was the man, is the man, and I think that's what we need to go back to and listen uh, to his farewell speech after his second term. Uh, even though at the end of his second term speech, he does say, uh, you know, don't listen to what I have to say exactly, but, you know, he's just being humble and modest. Uh, you know, we're talking about a man who without this country would not exist, and uh very strong mentally, physically. Uh, you know, if if I were to follow anybody, it would be George. <laughs> so I yeah. think we need to reverse right. ourselves and go back and uh, base this country on Mr. George. Uh, I think he was uh, he was the man, uh, and he pretty much lays it out in his farewell speech. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. It he is. doesn't it's believe a in a party awesome. system. He didn't believe in yeah. a party system. 
he just he believed that mm-hmm. there was big big government control of the states, and the states would follow big government, uh, you know, the, the constitution. Kind of like what George is saying that you know, like Facebook, uh, uh, on how they can uh, manipulate or control what people say on Facebook. Well, I, I I thought we have a constitution with the First Amendment, which gave people freedom yeah. of speech. What happened yeah. there? Okay. Yeah, good question. Okay. But now okay, Facebook, so George... Facebook, Facebook is manipulating and controlling because of their their views of government views. So they're using their own views of how they think this country should be run and manipulating it and telling people they can only say certain things. If you don't, they will ban you unless you abide by what their beliefs are. Why are yeah. people... All right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hold on. I'm going to say, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to let George uh, get into that. Uh, George, your thoughts? You know, he's basically well, following up what we've been saying, but kind of, yeah. you know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with them 100%. A, uh, I, I, I think the uh, greatest American is George Washington. He was the indispensable man. Without him, none of the things that we have seen happen in America happen. It, does, it doesn't happen. So, um, but also, um, there's a lot of wisdom there. Uh, sometimes we talk about the genius of a Thomas Jefferson or a, uh, even a John Adams, but uh, there, and we sometimes think that, uh, that Washington was uh, just a, you know, a man of character, but not real genius. If you read his speeches and the things he wrote and letters and things, there's a genius to that man too. He just was perhaps a little less uh, um, excited about always expressing his genius, I guess is maybe one way to say it. But, but I, I agree that uh, the First Amendment matters. Our founders, as, as, uh, as intelligent as they were, they never, however, perceived of a time and a place where a single media outlet would, could control coverage. Because in their time, every paper was local. So if you had a local paper and it was the most important paper in town, the most you could do was control what they heard in that one town. And there was no way to amalgamate and build this kind of, um, you know, so, so they were afraid of, of government doing that because government was the only national power that could do something like that. Well, now we see 200 and some years later that corporations can acquire this power and so I would argue that we have to figure out, whether it's by statute or amendment to our Constitution, we may want to embody this concept of uh, free speech a little more carefully because we now know that free speech can be trampled and destroyed by private interests. Whereas in 1790, you know, in 1805, that wasn't possible. Oh, I have to, yeah. Before we go, I'm going to kind of add, but before I do, uh, uh, this is one of the best books on George Washington I've ever read. Uh, I, uh, I don't know if you know John Burlow, the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Oh yeah, um, good man. Yeah, okay. Consider my friend. He, he, oh good. Well, I, you know, actually, George, John and I have known each other for over thirty years. I remember we we actually I was you know we you know yeah you know, uh, there was a, a conservative magazine called the Casey Jones that we both contributed to. And we even did a joint article together, uh, and when he was a college student at the University of Missouri. You know, that's how long I've known this man. But he—I don't know if you ever chance—if you ever had a chance to read his book, George Washington Entrepreneur. It's a fabulous book. It's one of the best books on George Washington I have ever read. 
And you know how it is where, you know, when you got somebody like George Washington, you know, how hard it is for somebody to, you know, to literally come up with a new angle? Because how many books have ever been written by George Washington? Uh, he's actually come up with some very fascinating angles that you know, I didn't know. It's one of those things where literally I didn't know that about George Washington. And, and there's a point you just made about his modesty, you know, uh, you know, kind of stayed in the background, is that he was certainly a, you know, he was certainly uh, a person that was far greater than what people imagine. He was an entrepreneur. He was, you know, whether it was agriculture, uh, you know, you know, mining, you know, there was so much he actually knew about. And, and he also helped out entrepreneurs, you know, you know, whether it was with patents or whatever. And he himself, you know, did a lot of experimentation on his uh, plantation, uh, Mount Vernon. So, George Washington, entrepreneur, John Burlow, best book on, you know, it's one of the best books you'll ever have on George Washington. And he also says, he also found out some very interesting things dealing with slavery, you know, in Washington and the fact that as Washington was near the end of his life, you know, as he did, he did free his slaves. And a lot of it was, I think he got to that point where, you know, as, as John would say, he didn't go the full Monty while he was alive, but... He certainly saw, you know, the handwriting on the wall dealing with that. Uh, but, okay, back to the question you say, I mean, here's the problem that comes into play here. And that's why I think where Section 230 comes into play. Is on one side of the equation, you know, Facebook has the right as a, you know, to edit if that's what they choose to become, editors, to put on, you know, as a private company to make up their own rules. But the 230 was certainly not designed for them to be able to censor people without thoughts. And here's the other thing that comes to my mind, and I'm going to throw this back to you, is that the monopoly power of Facebook and others in that line, and, you know, I, and I look as the example, you know, I look at the example be Parlor, where they literally put Parlor pretty much out of business. I mean, I know they still exist. But it's nowhere in what it was or what it was about ready to become. I mean, they literally destroyed a partner. Not only, you know, not only did they basically destroy them, but they kept them from really pretty much being on the many internet sites out there. The many of the servers basically banned them as well. So they had they had to basically go outside of the normal server system to actually quote unquote get back in. But, you know, in the past, you know, we've always looked at, uh, you know, monopoly power so much on the financial side. Well, they have the power to be able to dictate the price because they control the business. But we've never had a situation where they are so powerful that they control what gets said and they'll even control who gets to say it. So, right. Your thoughts, yeah, your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're right about that. I mean, um it wasn't just that they, um, you know, we have rules about uh, competition. So, for example, if you were to open up a hot dog stand in your hometown, McDonald's couldn't come out and try to put you out of business um, specifically by colluding with other restaurants. You know, they can compete with you, 
and they can offer better products at a better price and so forth. But there's certain things you just can't do to, to drive out of business competitors, which then gives you the power to charge whatever price you want once they're gone. And uh, so on a, on a practical level, um, there's no doubt that they behaved in a way that was monopolistic and they colluded uh, and uh, and that's also illegal you know imagine if every gas station called up you know into a central server and checked in to see what they should charge for gas and got the approval from some organization you know OPEC does that and that's illegal in America the only reason why OPEC can do it is because our laws don't apply to them because they're other countries but in America you're not allowed to collude like that and um, so um, Definitely something has to be done. I'm not entirely sure that, uh, that in general, you know, antitrust legislation is the way to go. And the only reason I say that is because, you know, over time there's been all kinds of, quote, monopolies, whether it was uh, uh, IBM, which was, you know, now is largely irrelevant compared to what they were in the 60s and 70s, thanks to the players like Apple and other, you know, computer makers. Um, you know, there's just you, know, you look at uh, certain software packages used to be the dominant software package, and then they later disappeared and were replaced by other software packages. You know, Eastman Kodak used to be have essentially a monopoly on uh, film and photography. Guess what? You know, no, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. So, so bottom, you know, new technologies changed all that. So um, my point isn't that uh, there's not a problem there. It's just that um, we might want to use um, new technologies and new services, but it's hard to do when they do what they do because new services were coming out to compete with them, and they colluded to squelch them. Imagine if, for example, Kodak had used its tremendous power when it had it to prevent the invention of the smartphone with uh, high-quality digital cameras. We'd all be worse for that yeah, if that I, had happened. They did do that. Yeah. But if they yeah, had, they yeah. imagine the cost that would have to us. Yeah. Well, I just say, to me, this is a very interesting aspect of the, uh, what I would call the, you know, the monopoly side, because, like I said, we're not talking, per se, market share based on dollars, per se, as much as the power to dictate what gets said and dictate who gets to say it and get things, who can be on that particular server or servers, uh, you know, be part of their servers or part of their, for example, Apple has their own, you know, their own news section. They have their own news department. They have Apple News and that Apple TV, Apple this, Entertainment. It's not just about, you know, Apple computers. It's beyond that. And, uh, and the question comes into play is who, you know, you know, do they have the, you know, is it monolithic if they are able to keep people off the air forcefully, which I think is now the question that we have to play with. It is now the question we're looking at in that particular realm. You know, I, I, I say it's something that, you know, you stated, you know, the founding fathers were not, you know, could not have foreseen this, but on the other side of the equation, it's there, and it's like the 800-pound gorilla, especially when that particular group have colluded with a political party or a government to do their wishes for them, uh, and that becomes oh, yeah. even more dangerous. More dangerous. And I know in your piece, 
you know, in the piece that was you know, that we were talking about, you know, it's kind of a fascination in all of this because, you know, what is you know what was Section 230 designed for? Uh, it certainly, and what was the end game? You know, what's the end game on this? So, uh, great discussion here. I know we've got about uh, four minutes left. So what I want you to do is very briefly, there was a very briefly, there was a piece you said about California laws, arms veteran consumers, well, claiming to protect them uh, under the guise of, let's say, California version of net neutrality. Uh, could you summarize oh, yeah. that study for study that very quickly? Sure. sure. Well, so net neutrality is an attempt to have government regulate Internet traffic. And they claim that it'll be better if government regulates it. So they did that in California, and there's an app um, that is uh, supported by all the major phone carriers that provides telemedicine services to veterans. And because of the regulations uh, under this net neutrality, uh, that was no longer legal because it was free. And, you, and, and if you're going to give things away for free, you can't charge at all then for anything. And uh, because that's making distinction based on content, right? Um, and so as a result, then a bunch of uh, you know we already have a backlog of medical services needed by veterans, but they couldn't even get telemedicine, and that that might be good for things like uh, renewal of prescriptions. It also can be helpful for counseling because you can do that via uh, you know communications. I mean, you can't do heart surgery via phone, but but lots of medical services can be. And so it all shut down. And it, uh, you know, that's an example where they had good intentions. They were wrong. Uh, I'm not saying they were right, but I, you know, they claimed to want to help. But the unintended consequences, they screwed the, some people who really needed this and, and, and that wasn't available to them any longer. And so that's often the way government regulations work. They say they're going to help you. Be ready for the unintended consequence. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, I think that's that's a very fascinating point that you make because, like I say, I was not aware that the state of California and their rules with their version of net neutrality, in other words, net neutrality once again demonstrated what it, you know, what it ended up being, restricting choices, not expanding choices. Uh, Now, tell real briefly about Frontiers of Freedom where people can uh, you know, read your pieces and others uh, under sure. your guise. Sure. FF.org is the place to go. Frontiers of Freedom is a conservative public policy think tank. It was founded by Malcolm Wallop. We give out a Ronald Reagan award. Um, and, uh, you know, FF.org is, a, is the place to – you can follow me on Twitter at G Landreth. Uh, parlor, it's the real George Landreth, and you know Facebook and stuff. It's just George Landreth. So um, there's a trend there. FF.org and George Landreth. <laughs> All right, listen. Thank you very much, uh, George. I appreciate you coming on the show. This is Tom Donaldson of Donaldson Wednesday Edition of Files. Uh, stay tuned on this specific network and block. On this specific network, we will be with the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry.
Perry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm uh, Dr. Larry Fidewa, <coughs> and uh, I'm the co-host uh, tonight uh, with uh, Tom Donaldson. And uh, Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We just had a great hour with uh, George Landworth. So, uh, uh, by the way, thank you very much for uh, introducing him to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, well, he's a good guy. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, now the. I, 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 I just want to. Yeah. I'll do a real quick thing here. I wanted to kind of say because George might call us back a little bit later. So I just. Oh, that would be that. good. Yeah. Yeah. He. Uh, he uh, he's got some things he needs to do with his wife, but he said he'll try to slip back in a little bit later uh, to see how we're doing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, Well, uh, I'd, like to, news radio. I'd like to yeah, uh, just... start off tonight with uh, talking a little bit about the CIRCON, the uh, Russian hypersonic uh, missile which uh, they just uh, tested again uh, this week uh, from a warship. And uh, for those who uh, were not uh, aware too much of this, uh, we can, uh, I can give a, just a brief uh, description of what this is. It's, it, it is a missile that is uh, launched from a rocket. And the main, well, there are several characteristics of it that are, extremely uh, uh, significant w- the one is that it is it is uh, geared toward coming off of a ships and uh, the they think that there's a possibility that that they can uh, it came out of a warship uh, uh, this week but uh, they 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 feel that the Americans feel that it's not very uh difficult for them to uh, be able to launch this from submarines as well. Another characteristic is that this one did uh, Mach 7, which is 5,000 miles per hour, it is, uh, and it went uh, 217 miles as, uh, in the, uh, as far as distance. It hit the target right smack in the middle. And uh, Putin uh, then came on and uh, said that, uh, well, he said before that he's aiming for uh, nine times sound and a thousand a thousand kilometers, which is 620 miles, and that uh, <clears throat> the uh, obvious uh, danger of the fact that it is uh, sea-bound. Uh, is also is the fact that they could get pretty close to the American uh, uh, territory and then launch this thing and hit a lot of the uh, targets in the United States mainland from uh, from uh, beyond the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, boundaries of uh, of our territorial boundaries in the ocean. So. Then the, the another interesting thing was that when uh, this was this was actually brought up in congressional testimony about three weeks ago by the Defense Department when the Defense Department was actually uh, being grilled on, on on Capitol Hill. They said then, <clears throat> and although it didn't get a lot of play in the press, that 
we really, we Americans really have no direct uh, ability to deter uh, such a uh, such a weapon. And then, just to make sure that the whole world knew that 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 was uh, the position of America's defense, uh, the uh, presidential press secretary Saki uh, decided to tell the whole world that we don't have any defense and uh, that we hope that the uh, Russians will uh, will not use it, which uh, seems kind of limp, but. Uh, it does raise uh, a very, very significant issue, and that is, well, let me just give the, the next, the next uh, chapter in the story. Uh, Putin, as you probably know, uh, just won his fourth uh, presidential election by 76% of the vote. And uh, so he came out and announced this... Uh, test and uh, the uh, details, uh, some of the details of it, but he also said something very interesting, and that is that he wants to, uh, in his new term now, he wants to decrease the amount of uh, money they're spending on defense and uh, to uh, get better relations with the rest, other, what he called other government, uh, the other governments of the world. Uh, which is curious because uh, up, uh, right now the, the uh, general observers of the relations between the United States and the Soviet or the Russians is that they're probably at their worst, uh, uh, lowest point since they since the uh, Cold War. In fact, before the uh, uh, Reagan uh, Gorbachev talks got so friendly, so. Um, that's that's kind of a sketch of, of, of what the situation is, and um, I, I would like to uh, have some reflections on that from uh, from us tonight, Tom. Um, yeah. I'll start off with saying that I think it is deplorable, first of all, to tell the whole world that we can't <laughs> we can't defend ourselves against this, and secondly that 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 apparently is the fact because even though the United States has led in hypersonic te technology for the last generation uh, as uh, the uh, Secretary of Defense said we chose not to weaponize it uh, who chose why and uh, who what is really going on so yeah. what do you think why is that yeah well, here's the other thing, because I'm looking at a, a site called Air, you know, American Defense News, which is a pretty interesting site. Uh, I get that, and they they talked about that today. In fact, they have a whole story on testing the hypersonic missile. And uh, here's the interesting, you know, there are two interesting developments. Uh, the first interesting development is that they're testing it. The second interesting development, while they were at it, uh, they tweeted the following. We would like to remind the Pentagon press secretary that potential development of any hypersonic in Europe would be extremely destabling. Their short flight at the time would leave little or no decision and reach and raise the likelihood of inadvert 
conflict. So it's kind of like, okay, we got ours, but hey, don't you dare do yours. Uh, and so certainly once they – because obviously the logical thing would be for NATO and the United States to develop their own version missile. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. he said that – I guess uh, we've got to almost go to break here, but he, <clears throat> he said that uh, we're, we're at the uh, at the point of uh, – well, the reason that, that, that he gives for having – put such an emphasis on the development of this uh, new type of weapon was because uh, he, he was, he'd been afraid for actually for uh, way back even before uh, Obama, but, but certainly when Trump was there, uh, he was worried about uh, deploying nuclear weapons in Europe, uh, in NATO, around, and particularly in uh, Poland. And uh, this, that's, that was his excuse for trying to develop this thing. Um, I guess we're at a, we're at a break here. Um, and uh, uh, we're, uh, my uh, erstwhile, okay, we're, we, we have another minute. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah. my producer tells so, yeah. me we have another minute. So, so right. I have to listen yeah. to what she says, really. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, by the time you finish this conversation, we already have another minute. The minute just went up. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening right. to the Doctor the uh, Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year, one in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, Tom, I've got a theory. <clears throat> it's kind of wild, but maybe, maybe, uh, and maybe it's a little bit starry-eyed. But uh, here it is. Uh, Putin came out, and in his uh, what turned out to be kind of like his inaugural address 
to the world in this uh, so-called press conference. He started talking about the fact that he really wanted better relations with the rest of the world and and uh, he wanted to divert uh, spending from defense to the uh, increasing the uh, the uh, life the level of uh, luxury and uh, and the lifestyle of of, it, of the people. Uh, I, I, you think? I mean, he's a pretty smart guy, and and he knows that the basis really for world power is not necessarily weapons. It really is uh, economic strength, and yeah. he also knows that nobody will touch in in these days anyway the the great uh, purveyors of capital investment that w- that that have taken China really from a uh, uh, an outlying uh, uh, nation of, uh, of, of of very poor people and very uh, backward uh, sort of uh, civilization and 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 put them up to be uh, really this the second most important uh, country in the world and that was done mainly with American capital and he it, it, it seems to me that it might be possible that what he's really really aiming for is in with this weapons thing is to try to get Russia to be as um, as significant and as considered as important as uh, Europe and the United States and China and that if, and that he, what he really wants is he really wants uh, investment in uh, in his country so that he can raise the standard of living and and by and also by the way uh, maintain his own uh, uh, hegemony as the president of the uh, of the of Russia for the rest of his life. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, then you know he might once he convinces everybody that he's a really tough guy and a tough country and capable of knocking out anybody any other country that he might retire he might re- pull back a little bit what do you think well i mean here's the thing. i mean first one all, if russia didn't have nuclear weapons it would be merely a regional power it's nowhere near the military was during the cold war uh I mean, th- you know, I was thinking about this last night, by the way. I mean, yeah, we were talking – because here's what – the first thought came to mind. I said, okay, if you look at Russia as a power versus the Soviet Empire, I mean, the Soviet Empire had a worldwide president, Navy. They had a Navy that was – they had a Navy that was around the world. They also had a a substantial military, plus they had uh, allies. The Warsaw Pact. Well, the thing is, the Warsaw Pact today is now NATO. <laughs> I mean, that's like yeah, that's right. they lost yeah. it's NATO, so it's basically shotting right back at them. And certainly, as an economic power, it's virtually. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not. Yeah, let me let me put it this way. I'm going to try to look this thing up because it's hardly uh, you know, as a power. You know, it's not up there at all with uh, 
is, you know, and so it, it's an interesting aspect. I guess the question I would throw back to you is, okay, here's the, you know, Russia is like behind Canada, Italy, France, Korea, even India, and, in, you know, let's say, in GDP. So when you sit back and say, I mean, they're like ranked number 11. But, I mean, Canada has got a higher GDP than Russia. And we're talking about a country yeah, one, with one resources. One-tenth of population. Yeah, one-tenth of population, yeah. I mean, you're talking about a pop, you know, you're talking about a country that literally spans 11 time zones with resources, include, you know, that has plenty of resources. So, and here they are ranked number 11 behind, okay, we're talking Korea. Uh, I'm going to say South Korea, uh, which is, again, a little small country. Singapore. Yeah. And Singapore, yeah. And uh, India, France, so Germany, India. Yeah. So, not so, so sure about now India. here's the. No, 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 I got the data right in front of me. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, I'm saying, you came prepared, yeah. huh? Okay, but well, actually, I was doing this while you know this is what this is the part of the job they do. It's called multitasking uh, to make sure that you and I are on the right page on everything. I. I have been known to do this while you're talking. In fact, uh, you're supposed to be listening when I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he, but here, yeah, yeah. But the point, and here's the thing I'm going to say. The point is very simply put. They don't, I mean, you know, economically speaking, it's a poor country. It, armed forces is not near what it was. Without nuclear weapons, they're a regional power if that and if that and nato basically the gdp of nato is so far ahead of russia that you know i mean it's and so they know that they understand the fact that they got some problems yeah here's the other problem too they have is you know we're seeing across the world a population shrinkage where where and their population shrink is as far ahead of ours in Europe, you know, when you look at it. So you got a declining population, a country that's got the, you know, essentially plenty of resources, but certainly it's more of a kleptomania. I mean, basically, the difference between this and the old Soviet Union is that essentially it's a kleptocracy, opposed to just a communist country. Where basically the oligarchies control every aspect of it, so he's got some serious issues economically speaking. You know, it, he has a weak hand that he's played very well over the years, uh, and, and he's played very well over the years. But certainly, you know, he's you know, he's still he understands very clearly. You know, without these weapons, you know, Russia is not a world power. And so you, you you make a pretty good point that, you know, somewhere along the line, he's got to figure out a way to, A, rebuild that power, to rebuild that economy, so he becomes a more well-respected nation. Or let's say they have to up their economic ante. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. So the point you're making is valid uh, because well, he is it, playing with that. Go ahead. The other the other factor, though, is that if he intends to remain dictator for life, um, 
eventually people get get uh, if if they if they become poor enough and hungry enough and and uh, uh, they they become like the Cubans. The Cubans they are going out in in on mass uh, to to uh, uh, complain about the government, in spite of the fact that for all these years since 1959 they've been they've been uh, in really a uh, uh, state of fear of mortal fear of of the uh, of the regime and but they when things get bad enough they they say okay shoot me i'm i'm going to go out and, and i'm going to go screaming uh defiance rather than uh quietly uh dying and and that kind of phenomenon is, you know, Russia has been pretty darn close to that a couple of times in, in uh, recent history, and uh, and and they saw it, they saw what happened uh, in uh, China when uh, when Mao Zedong came took over because uh, you know he was the leader of the of the uh, rabble that. Uh, that displaced the the previous uh, uh, previous government, and um, I, I think I, I just think that, that Putin is smart enough and and far he, he he has shown that he he looks ahead. You know he's been talking about this uh, hypersonic stuff now for about four or five years, and. Uh, and so I, I think it's possible that that he is going to pull in his horns a little bit, but I don't think he's going to be real nice to, to Biden. Well, here's the, uh, the, the thing: is I mean, his own goal is to revamp the Russian Empire. Well, like I say, Central Europe is lost, and hopefully, you know, we're not going to allow them to Baltic states. But you look at Belarus and you look at the Ukraine. I mean, the Ukraine basically is you know like that sort thought that. He views that in their sphere of influence, and and Belarus, for all intent, you know, and the same thing with Belarus. It's and so the, you know he wants to rebuild Russia, and I would say in, in particular the near what I call near Russia, Belarus, and uh, and the Ukraine, and so it's, you know, and so I think now there's the other aspect that comes into play is I'm wondering down the road is he setting something up to make deals. Uh, with uh, the West, because remember in his press conference with uh, Joe Biden, you know he talked about the Minsk deal. The Minsk, uh, you know, he kept making referrals to the uh, Minsk deal, you know, or the dealing with the Ukraine, and essentially, you know, as he says, you know, as I understand it. The Minsk deal basically is you know, Russia, you know, that the eastern half of the Ukraine essentially has the right to have autonomy within the Ukraine. The Russians side, you know, the, you know, the eastern, which is pretty much done by Russian speakers, will have the entire uh, autonomy from the you know, government, which would allow them obviously to deepen their uh, – to deepen their own you know, their you know, relationships with Russia and gives Russia again a you know 
something, you know, again, gives them pretty much Ukraine. They already got the Crimea. Crimea so. sort, of, sort of like the Republic of Texas in uh, relation to Mexico. Yeah. In a way, you can say it that way, only uh, – uh, but, I mean, and that's the interesting aspect because he made he kept making reference to that. I mean, and to me, I interpret that very simply. Hey, I'm willing to make a deal. I want half of the Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's yeah. essentially what it is. Yeah, and he's and that's a, so. I'm wondering, you know, what kind of deal he's looking at that means the end you know, of Ukraine as an independent nation, or at least as a, a nation. You know, yeah, an independent nation. So. Well, they yeah. they are ethnically are they are Russian, so you know that was also Hitler's yeah. excuse for going into uh, Austria and, uh, and northern Czechoslovakia. Uh, yeah. We are listening to the uh, Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me on Fifty Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. And now this section is segment is being brought to you by... Napa know how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and we're talking tonight about uh, the uh, threat, or at least the uh, behavior, of the uh, of the Russian uh, government, uh, which also extends not only to the uh, threat of a, a new uh, state-of-the-art weaponry, but also uh, a lot of the uh, activity of the uh, Russian Navy particularly has has been very, very aggressive lately. Uh, for example, they're, they're doing a lot of testing uh, uh, in the uh, Arctic, which has uh, always been kind of, well, the, the uh, ice is, some of the ice is melting and they're moving ahead in it. Uh, but they've also done things that, like coming, uh, sending their ships uh Right off the coast of New York, and uh, and uh, and also in the West Coast, it's uh, I don't know. They've been, but who who are they trying? You know, who are they going to ally with if if uh, if they are really serious about trying to do some uh, some whatever uh, uh, warlike kinds of things. I mean, there's only China and America, and, and of course, uh, Europe is kind of uh, for there for the taking, I guess, in some ways. They're kind of halfway neutral, but 
Amina, they, they, you know, they're making nice with uh, with China too. So, yeah. well, uh, I, well, I, maybe he feels he feels kind of squashed between two giants. Well, yeah, I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna take you know, let's you know take a look at the deal strategic because my view has always been he's playing nice with Russia as a counter to the United States. And, and if you sit back and think about it, you know, and again, I'm, you know, in the you know, in Putin's mind, is if you have an informal alliance or you have an alliance, and he certainly has gone in that direction with China. You basically are talking about the control of all of these uh, Eurasia, the Eurasian continent, essentially, being controlled by those, you know, by you know, Russia, being a, an alliance or an, an alliance with China. And I don't, and I, and I think that that's a distinct possibility. That's always been a distinct possibility, and that's always been one of the issues, you know, that the United States foreign policy apparatus, you know, needs to be thinking about because you call it the rogue, you know, call it the control of the rogues, nations. But the reality is that, uh, you know, it certainly, you know, call it the word cooperation with China against the interests of the United States. Uh, and certainly, he's been leading in that direction for quite a while. Uh, so I, and so I don't think you know. I think that's a, definitely a distinct possibility. Now, the, the reality that comes into play is that stable with such a relationship be based on one premise: Russia would not be the dominant, you know, partner. It, they would be the junior partner, and what a Putin tolerates being the junior partner of China, and two, China borders a good portion of Siberia, which is very lightly populated with a lot of resources. So it's, I mean, there's that two aspects, but certainly having an alliance or a cooperation with China does benefit Russia as opposed vis-a-vis the United States. Uh, Again, that could simply... Yeah, but they're a lot, they're not very nice. You know, the, the, uh, the Chinese are there. If they do any investing, for example, they do it because of them, and and they're very uh, they're very uh, harsh about it. I mean, if you're looking for favorable investment and and uh, a hand up in terms of uh, the standard of living of your of your uh, of your population. You're not. It doesn't seem like you're going to go to the Chinese. I mean, they're they're not. What? They're they're, yeah. they're all for the Chinese, not for them. I mean, not for anybody well, else. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. No, no. Again, I mean, here's the thing. You know, think. First of all, number one, Putin doesn't view him. He still views Russia as a great power, a great country. So he would not view. And number one, number two. So this is not the same as investing money into Burma or investing money into another. You know, a third Africa. This is a major power that you're doing with, and uh, and number two, there's a, a second aspect and corollary. Did you make a point about Europe? His relate, you know, his relationship with Germany dealing with the pipeline. Yeah. I mean, people understand what that was. I mean, there's two victims. You know, there's two aspects of that thing. Number one, Germany. Uh, getting natural gas from Russia to, you know, from Russia basically puts Europe and Germany in the pocket of Putin in that regard. And two, 
it bypasses the Ukraine. The pipeline they have, it bypassed the Ukraine. So the Ukraine was actually making money uh, with the pipeline going through their country. So all of a sudden they <laughs> – I mean, this is you know, it's like a you know, it's like a double whammy. Namely, can you neutralize the Germany, which is the heart of Europe from economic power, uh, and make in turn and having Europe turn neutral, in particular having a German-led Europe turn neutral versus the United States, and top of which, yeah, you, know, you get the double bangy of basically bankrupting uh, Ukraine. <laughs> It's like a double fact. So, no, I mean, I understand the guy's geopolitical thinking here. You know, he's thinking very clearly, I can make life miserable for the United States by going in different directions. And like I say, he's got a weak economy. There's no doubt. But, and I have no idea where he's thinking where the investment comes in. But if he takes China money, it'd be fascinating to see how the two of them interact because this is not, I mean, you know, in the case of Russia versus China, you're, you're not you're you're looking at two countries that view themselves as powers. You're not viewing a you know you're not viewing let's say okay like uh, China's investments into the like in into some you know, into Africa, which they have a substantial investment in. And so I don't so know. I'm, it's an interesting question. If I'm, if I'm Putin, I'm looking at at Europe as my main my main goal of trying to find get uh, uh, investment and get uh, more much more trade and get much closer relations. I, I don't think he's talking about the United States I, or, or China. I think I think he feels that if he can get if and he's right if you could get Russia and 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 Europe all under the same umbrella, so to speak, which which the Soviet Empire tried to do, really, in a lot of ways. Um, you would you would then have a third power in the world that would be, uh, e- you know, equal if not equal, at least uh, uh, greatly respected by uh, by both the Russia and the United, I mean China and the United States. I don't know. It could. It's got to have some yeah. kind of a strategy to, before be be doing all this. And I think well, okay, he's smarter the, than our guys. <laughs> well, well, being smarter than Biden is not exactly a an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess. It, yeah. Um, yeah. But okay, well, let's go back to I mean, let's well, yeah, okay, here's the aspect with Europe. I mean the other aspect with Europe is you know, we have over the years we have looked at Europe you know, you know, as part of the uh, our alliance. And right. and 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 the thing is with Europe, Europe is moving into in their own little direction. You know, there's always been the you know, the past decade this idea of Europe being a third way or fourth way, you know, between the United States, China, and Russia as their own power, you know, the European Union as their own power. Uh, and certainly the European bureaucracy of the European EU has not necessarily been a friendly to the United States, have not necessarily viewed the United States in positive light, you know, uh, mainly because it's a bureaucratic mores. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, you got the bureaucrats and the elites running Europe for the EU. 
And, you know, the question has always been to me is, you know, how long does the EU last in its present form because of that aspect? But Germany is the most powerful country. You know, the economic power that drives the EU and drives the, the rest of Europe. And the question, what happens if Germany decides on their own to make deals with Russia and be you know, and have a trading relationship with Russia? What does that do to the foreign policy for the rest of Europe? You know, does it basically turn it into a neutral site in between the and not necessarily a friend or not like the United States? Do you see a breakup of the EU? Because I guarantee you, the Central Europeans are not, you know, historically speaking, really would not be all that pleased with a Russia-German uh, alliance in between uh, from their own past history. And they certainly would prefer the United States to stay in NATO and stay in Europe. My question would be, are there Europeans at least thinking in a totally different package. Because remember, for years, they've also talked about having their own European strike force in addition to NATO. Well, yeah, and they've been talking about the United States of Europe, too. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's there's, um, well, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're deep in the speculation here, but um, no, I'm not sure this is all speculation. This is, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, just kind of look at the board here in this way. Okay, if you're Putin, what would you want to do? Uh, if you're Europe, the elite, and like I say, the, you're the European elite who runs the EU, you know, who you are. I mean, these are the people who basically, I mean, I mean these are the people who go to Davos and view themselves as, you know, as Europe. They, uh, they don't view themselves as nationalists, but you still have a nationalist, you know, fever within many of these countries. And so I've always thought to me, the EU was their mechanism to control the nationalistic aspects. And of these major countries that have one Europe. And I'm not sure, you know, but the question is going to be, is the EU in its present form be able to survive, but certainly there's an aspect that's always been there with the EU elites to eventually be on their own, necessarily not must in bone, you know, in to the United States, which is, uh, which is to me one of the biggest reasons why NATO is actually important, because it not just keeps the United States in Europe, but it also allows, you know, you know but it also as NATO, it's a community of nations that still reminds these countries, you know, that they're individual countries, which undermines somewhat the EU, which I've never, you know, liked in this present form. You know, I've always thought that, you know, for me, I would just soon see the EU change or be, or drop, but that's another, that's an, that's another foreign policy debate. You know, are the, is the EU good for Europe? And good for us. Well, hold that thought. We're uh, at another break here, and uh, you're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Let's go, guys! 
Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Yeah. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, this is brought to you by Buffalo Buffalo Wild. This I mean, is brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy: buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at four dollars. Four dollar shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo. Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and uh, Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, Tom, you were just winding up your uh, treatise on, um, yeah. on uh, your, the future of Europe. Uh, yeah. it, you know, they've already got some serious, uh, well, there, there's another possible um, alliance that, pe- that people talk about sometimes kind of whimsically, and that is the English-speaking uh, uh, countries of the world, U.S., Canada, U.K., uh, Australia, and possibly uh, the Philippines and maybe even India. Um uh, and that that would be another that 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 could be a very powerful force. Well, you know what? Leave. Go ahead. Yeah, actually, yeah, it reminds me of a, a a book that I about that was written about four years ago, in which a, the author brought that very same point. Uh, the angle spear. I mean, the uh, the the tip off <laughs> to that might be uh, Australia because right now they're under an awful lot of pressure from China and yeah. it's getting worse and worse and um, if if there's something happened to spark a, uh, some kind of violence you know some kind of uh, invasion or uh, probably it probably would be a, a, a not invasion of the whole country maybe uh, uh, you know some kind of a annexation of New Zealand or something like that uh, by China that that would uh, bring to bear uh, the defenses from uh, the rest the rest of the English speaking world. Uh, something well, like that yeah, might happen, but that it would take something like that, I think. Well, I mean, but yeah, what do you say? I was being sarcastically uh, trying to make a hint about. The, my book of 2017 and my upcoming book, Beyond the, the Abyss, in which I do talk about the Anglosphere, this alliance. Uh, this is something I know James Bennett, 
uh, wrote a book, uh, an author by the name of James Bender wrote the book in 2003, where she discussed this. Yeah, and, uh, well, and it's been around for a long time. It's been around, yeah. And so, uh, and, and the, the interesting aspect about all this is that, to me, I would say it would be a good supplement to the other democratic countries, but it also does something else. We're, we share a similar culture. But more importantly, uh, you know, there's the old line, you know, uh, you know, interests are forever. You know, a country's interests are forever. Alliances are not. Um, but in this particular case, you have both interests and alliances that have been long-reaching. And plus the aspect of the economic power that you're looking at is substantial. I mean, here's the thing. Okay, let's, let's oh, look yeah. at this. I mean, let's look just the GDP. The United States has got the number one GDP with about $22 trillion plus. Uh, the United Kingdom is number five with about $3 trillion. Canada is number nine. And Australia right behind Russia. I mean, those four countries basically are in what the top Ireland? 12. Um, okay, let me see where is Ireland. Um Ireland is number 29. And Scotland? And, well, Scotland is with Great Britain, United Kingdom. So, uh, Well, yeah, but, yeah, and, uh, I mean, uh, there are uh, two other countries that consider themselves English-speaking, um, even if the accent is kind of difficult for some of us to understand. And that would be the Philippines and uh, and India. Um, uh-huh. if, and if you brought those two in into the into the brotherhood, uh, yeah. you you would def- you would have a definitely a very uh, you'd have a dominant uh, an economic dom- uh, be an economic giant. Uh, well, let me put it this way: with India, you just added the six, you know country with the GDP, the six, you know, GDP. And you're also looking at, God, let me see if it's, the if, if they have actually surpassed China in population. I'm going to look that up right now while. Um, while I'm talking? Uh, <laughs> while you're talking, yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let me talk, uh, let me talk while you look. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, 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 the weak sister in that, in that picture, uh, it seems to me is, uh, is Australia and New Zealand because they are in geographically, they are, they're really in Asia or at least in, yeah. uh, Asian territory. And, uh, and yet, and because of that, they're getting, they're getting more and more pressure from, from China, uh, and, so that that you know that might be the uh, the uh, Austria uh, kind of uh, little event that uh, starts uh, starts another war like uh, like uh, the Austrian uh, what was the name of that town when the duke got killed uh, anyway they uh, that 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 might spark something like this, but I think it would take something like that. I I, I can't see just 
Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's what do you uh, think? Well, I mean, okay. Um, to answer your question, in the case of Australia, I don't see China invading Australia. Uh, I do see them do an economic warfare, uh, which they have already done with their, you know, threatening uh, Australia's uh, coal, you know, export. But, uh, you know, I, but here's the thing with Australia. Australia has got an advanced economy. It's got an advanced economy. And, and you add Australia to the mix as a nation, uh, you know, along with Europe, the United, you know, Europe, I mean, along with Great Britain, uh, United States and Canada, and eventually in India, you're looking at, uh, you're definitely looking at a, you know, an economic powerhouse in and of itself. Uh, so, you know, in and, and with and with uh, with Australia and Canada both, you have a lot of territory with with a sp- relatively sparse population, which um, yeah. is probably the reason that that uh, that China China's got to be looking for some more territory pretty soon. They keep on no, I'm know, a, yeah. I don't know. I mean, here's my my view of China has always been uh, that they have a two part uh, plan. The first part will be what I call uh, near China, where they look at uh, Taiwan as an example of Ch- of China. You know, you know Nepal and uh, Nepal. Uh, I mean, uh, Tibet. The, these are countries that you know they kind of look at Taiwan as part of their. And if you look at Taiwan and you look at where it is on a uh, globally, you control Taiwan. You control a good portion of the western, uh, you know, the uh, Pacific. Pacific, exactly. And not only that, but you also get all of that genius manpower, intellectual power, because the you know Taiwanese are certainly economically on a per capita basis uh, more advanced. Uh, on a per capita basis than the mainland. Uh, on the other side of the equation, I'm not sure that they've ever had this idea of conquering nations per se as much as controlling them economically speaking. It's like in controlling their elites. And certainly when you look at the United States, the Confucius Institute, the number of what I would call elites that have a friendliness to China. Uh, and I think it's like, you know, you know, as long as we're the most powerful economic country, we and everybody knows it, they pay their tribute to us. In the case of the United States, hallow out in the United States and uh, pass on their, you know, turn the United States into their version of China, uh, which is where you have a hallowed out country basically, you know, subservient economically to China. That's what I kind of think that they're looking at in that way. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it's a conquering aspect. Within the Pacific, yes. You know, within Southeast Asia, yeah, that's like their territory. Uh, yeah, my, my rebuttal I'm, to that is two words, ahead. Hong Kong. Well, Hong Kong, yeah, well, Hong Kong is part of that. Uh, yeah, but look what happened so, to them. Yeah, well, I mean, that, they became that, that, part. 
They're not just a, a economic yeah. entity to their they they're definitely a political and a national yeah. entity. Well, you're exactly right. I mean my point that is my point. That's part of that near Asia, that near China that they want okay, they view Hong Kong as theirs. They view Taiwan as theirs. Uh as their prop as their part of their country. And they want that control over those countries. Uh I think my question would be, is, you know, you know, how far would they go, militarily speaking, in conquering other nations, uh, extending their power? How far do they go militarily? That's a different question. I think in front of the United States, I think with the United States, they want a suburban country that trades with them on China's score and provides them with the resources China needs. Or a place where China can dump their goods. Uh, that's well, why they view with it. That's, yeah, that's my. They're, they're 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 not they're not going to risk a world war over Taiwan, yeah. though, as long as the United States is uh, is uh, actively uh, defending Taiwan. So the only answer to that is to become militarily such yeah. a. Uh, rival of the United States that we don't dare defend Taiwan for fear of uh, getting into yeah. a war with the Chinese and then, and, and losing. Yeah. Which is well, probably I mean, why me, yeah. probably well, why China is interested in Russia. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that comes into play here. Now, China's building a big navy. In fact, they've got actually more ships than we do. And they're yeah. building that navy to basically you know, control the ocean, control the sea, control the thing. And certainly, uh, but the question is going to be is how far would they go in Taiwan? I think what it comes down to, if they truly believe that the, you know, that they either they can conquer China, Taiwan before we can react, or they don't think we would react. Uh, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not as convinced as, uh, uh, I'm not as convinced as others that indeed, uh, you know, that China would not. Like you say, like you say, I think that, like you say, would China eventually go after Taiwan and risk it? Because here's the thing: their question might be to us is they may be thinking, would we risk a nuclear war over over Taiwan? If they don't think we would, that's a different story. Well, exactly. I mean, they're testing that right now. Yeah. They're, they're trying, yeah. To but out, just... trying to figure out just how far we would go. And with the Biden administration, it's not very clear to Americans either. I think it was, yeah. but it was pretty clear that you don't, you don't attack Taiwan if you uh, don't want to uh, have a armed confrontation with the United States. I don't think that's true with China, with uh, Biden at all. Well, like I say, to me, the real key element is this, uh, is if they believe, for once, if they believe we would not risk a nuclear war over Taiwan, uh, would they you know, consider it and give it a shot? And, and I think that's something that you can't risk. 
And that's what it really comes down to. And the other aspect is, uh, the other aspect is, can they tie one before we are able to put our own forces there, uh, put our own forces there, thus saying, in fact, okay, we got Taiwan now. What are you going to do about it? Start a nuclear war or accept what we just did? Uh, I mean, these are all possibilities. Sounds a lot but, like Crimea. You know, yeah. Yeah. Except, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. The answer to the question, you're absolutely right. It does sound like, like Crimea, but. Uh, and, and they're still there. And, they were, yeah. and the Americans didn't do anything about it. No, absolutely. Uh, and if, so. Well, I, I, I think there's also the possibility. I mean, the reason that that the Crimea is where it is now is because they did it during a, uh, a militarily weak. Uh, presidency uh, and, uh, and when uh, and, and I think that that's a possibility it's possible that they would make their move now while, while uh, Biden is president for the same reason because they're afraid that if somebody like Trump came in next they'd have to really back off whereas if they go ahead and make a move now they there's at least 50-50 chance that Biden would uh, would not uh, go to war over it. Yeah. So, I, I frankly, if I were the Chinese, that's probably the way I'd be thinking about it. Yeah. Well, I mean that's a good point. I mean, like I say, it's uh, but it's a theoretic. But I mean, it's one of those things you look at and you ask yourself, would they do it? I'm not going to roll it off the table. Mainly because I view uh, this, you know, to me, I, I view it, like I say, their objective goal is to have Taiwan under their umbrella. It allows them to control the Western Pacific, plus they view it as their province. Uh, they view it as their province. Uh, so much in the same way Russia viewed Ukraine as their sphere of influence. Uh, and, so what do you and think, you have, bottom line, what do you think? Are they gonna are they going to attack or not? Uh, I'm gonna say it's something I can see happening in the next five years as a realistic possibility. I'm not sure in the next two or three years, next couple of years, I think they will feel out Biden before they make that jump. Or they will feel out to see militarily how they view themselves militarily. But I would say, and certainly some of our own military have said the same thing in testimonies, you know, within five years, that certainly is a distinct possibility that if, if they feel that their buildup is enough, uh, I wouldn't discount well, it. But the well, question is going to be, is, are they – yeah. Well, yeah. say goodnight, Gracie, because uh... – we're now at the end of the at the end of the hour, and uh, so uh, we uh, want to uh, leave the uh, the uh, listeners here with all of these very uh, comforting and and rosy thoughts <laughs> that uh, make everybody sleep really soundly tonight, and we uh, say 
And I'll say for both of us, God bless America.